When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the LSQ Podcast, episode number 13, Lucky 13, I think. I'm Jenny LSQ, and I'm excited to share with you an interview with Bethany Cosentino, singer, songwriter, musician, fellow Seinfeld enthusiast, and of course, one of the two members of the Los Angeles duo Best Coast, which she formed with guitarist Bob Bruno back in 2009. And in this conversation, you'll hear Bethany talk about her years as a child actor, about moving to New York for college and realizing that this city wasn't for her, and much more. Plus, yes, of course, we do talk Seinfeld. I've got a Seinfeld Beatles analogy that I wanted to explore with Bethany. Uh, This is a conversation recorded earlier this year at Bethany's own Los Angeles home. She happens to live around the block from me when I'm based in Los Angeles for the winter, like truly around the block, so that's nice. And uh, if you hear uh, some kind of meowing and barking in the background, that's because uh, Bethany's dog, Josie, and her legendary cat, Snacks, were playful and adorable AF, as the kids say. So there is uh, some intermittent uh, disturbance from that, but it's a cute disturbance. Also, later on in the episode, I'll play you a little bit of a 2006 interview I did with the amazing Christina Aguilera. So more about that after this interview with Bethany. So a thing I didn't know about you until I was getting ready to talk to you for this is that you worked in entertainment as a child. Mm -hmm. And so by proximity to Hollywood or whatever, I mean, as a little kid, was it just a, what sort of inspired you to be up for working in entertainment when you were like a little kid? Well, my mom did commercials and I was like, this seems cool. Can I try this? And I was really little, like probably five or six and my mom was like sure we'll like try and get you an agent as like which when I say that now I'm like so weird for like a parent to just be like yeah sure let's just like find you an agent so her agency didn't represent kids but they were like you know what like we'll because I would like go to the office with her and I would always like kind of be like performative and they were like okay she's cute like sure we'll we'll try So then I just like ended up booking all these like random commercials and then I just ended up being, it was like too much. And I just was like, mom, this is so, it's hard work. Like when you're shooting a commercial as a seven year old, you're on set like 
all day and like you have to it was just crazy like I started to miss school and then I was just like I don't want to do this anymore and so my parents were like okay yeah but what 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 was the part of it that you liked then or did you like it I mean I think I liked I guess I just liked the idea of doing something that my mom did like I thought that was cool and I also I loved tv and movies and stuff so I was like this is cool like I want to do that I remember really the first the first like performance of a person that I like really fell in love with as a kid was Drew Barrymore in E.T. Like I used to watch that movie all the time with my parents and it's funny because I was scared of it. So I would always have to have a parent like watch it with me. But I remember seeing her and she was a little kid in that movie and I was like, this is so cool. And she had curly hair like I did. And it was like a thing that I was like, I think I could do this too. Right. <laughs> of course, I never made it beyond the like little Caesar's pizza commercials of the world. But you know, it was just something that seemed I liked, I get, this will sound kind of bratty, but like I liked attention as a child. Right. Were you, so a, were you a hammy like, kid? Yes, very yeah. much so. And I'm an only child. So it was very, very like, it was like I would perform in front of everyone all the time. So it seemed like a fitting thing for me to do. Right. And, but when, what would you, when you say you would perform, meaning that you would just ham, you would do characters or which, you know, which little yeah. kids do, but. Characters, I would sing like Disney songs. I would like me and my cousin, who's like around the same age as me, we would like put on like plays on Christmas, like, which again is stuff that kids do. Right. But I think like the fact that my mom did it, yeah. Pretty like frequently and often she did a lot of commercials and and like kind of like background acting roles and stuff. I was like, okay, well then I'll do this too. Yeah. But And did she do it sort of as like a just an when something just, came up yeah. she would write. She like my mom like had like a full-time 9 to 5 office job my whole adolescence and then my dad is a musician so my dad always did like music stuff. But yeah, my mom just like I don't even know. I think she got into it because she was into modeling when she was like in her 20s. And then when she moved here, it was sort of that thing where it's like, well, I guess if you live in L.A. and you're an ex-model, you become an actor. And you can. You can. (laughs) Yeah. It's good good extra money. A loud ass curly haired little kid (laughs) is born and she's just like, mom, I want to be an actor. And you're like, "Okay, I guess we can try this out. So, yeah. Um, and did you have, was music a part of, I mean, you, you say, you say that you sang Disney songs and stuff like that, but I mean, did the, did the, did musicality feel like a, a comfortable place for yeah. you as a little kid? A hundred percent. It was like, Jesse. <laughs> she's like, look at my cigar. Um, when I was a kid, it was like, that's all I remember doing. Like, I don't even, the the commercial stuff is a lot less of a vivid memory to me than the music stuff. Like, I started singing. My parents claimed that I sang, like, before I could talk and that I would, like, do these, like, I'd sing, like, the Little Mermaid soundtrack in the bathtub and, like, my parents would, like, put on a tape recorder and, like, record me. And then I started allegedly writing songs when I was, like, really young. And then my cousin and I had this, like, fake band where we would like write songs about like jogging and like (laughs) and I was in like what kinds of songs about jogging (laughs) I just remember one song was like the lyrics were literally running my heart is beating so fast running but I would pronounce it running and my dad would get really mad and be like it's not running it's running and I was like oh no I would say running like I would really like get the ing at the end and he would try and get me to do it more like run in 
Um, so my dad was like vaguely show dad a little bit, but, um, but your dad and your dad, you, as you mentioned, played music yeah. and in what, what, what form did that take? Um, well, my dad is basically like one of those dudes that like people call to be like, okay, we have an opening in the new lineup of like war, for example, because war is a band that he actually toured with, like when I was a kid or like, what is it good for? Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely nothing. (laughs) Um, or like (laughs) bad finger, like remaining members are going to Australia and they need a percussionist that can sing. So like. They call Ricky, my dad. And then, like, now he kind of just does more, like... He plays in a lot of cover bands. Most recently, he was in this, like, super tight Fleetwood Mac cover band. Oh, nice. Um, But, yeah, like, it was basically just, like... Like I said, I don't remember a time where there wasn't music either being played around me or where I was singing. And I did, like, choir in elementary school middle school high school i did musical theater i was in like church choir i played in my like churches like pop punk band (laughs) so i was really like music for me was a thing where i was like this is just what i know and what i like but i never really had this like idea of turning it into like i never was like trying to be like oh i want to be famous like it was just sort of always like I like to be a kid and like play music and sing songs about like whatever, you know, whatever it is I'm like going through. So I feel like at that time I was just writing again, like jogging with my cousin. Like that's what the kind of stuff I was doing. So I was writing songs about it. (laughs) But, and was your dad encouraging or, or yeah, for sure. My dad was like, my dad was the first person to buy me a guitar. He put me in guitar lessons when I expressed an interest in like, Hey, I think I want to learn an instrument. Um, they, I also like my parents bought this like really shitty piano at a thrift store. My dad refinished it. I tried to like learn how to play piano. They took me to like, when I, then at one point I was like, I want to be an opera singer, which weird, but I did take opera lessons and my dad would like drive me to my opera lessons. Like he was very much like when I said that I was going to go to college, like he was very much like, why go to college when you're such a good like musician? That's what you should do. And I was just like, that's interesting and not something that most parents push on their kid. They would instead probably be like, go to college, music later. But the music thing for him, that was his only, he, he didn't do anything. Right. Right. No. And he's like, you know, he's definitely like hustled and struggled as far as trying to be a professional musician. But like, I was, that's one thing I respect about him so much is he's just, he's never, he's just from time to time he has to do things like work construction or like whatever it is, but he's always just been like, music is what I love and it's what I feel like I was born to do. And so he's just always found a way to do it. So that's cool. That's like one thing that I'm always like, I just like respect it so much about him because it's literally like anything if it involves singing or playing drums or percussion or whatever it is like he's just like i'll take it (laughs) right right yeah and i would imagine that like in the oh josie um that in the you know course of your career thus far there must have been moments when that's a good perspective to have is someone that close to you where it's Mm -hmm. like they find a way to do it and yeah you don't have to get so consumed with my minor ups and downs like on a long path that you're yeah. like I'm getting to do this yeah and my dad is like the biggest best coast like fan and supporter it's really sweet he's like like I don't think 
I just really don't think that like there's another person, maybe except for Bob's mom, because both of our parents are very like super fanny. I just am like, I don't think there's another person on this planet that thinks I'm like as cool as my dad thinks I am. <laughs> like, like I feel like there are definitely people that like my music and think I'm cool, but my my dad is just like like the way that my dad talks about me to me sometimes I'm like who do you think I am <laughs> That's like awesome. I'm not that cool but thanks dad <laughs> so I'm I'm fortunate and my mom too like my parents are super supportive of what I do and they're just like stoked that I found a way to make it work because I had such a hard time as a as a teenager and like in my early 20s before best coast like I could never work a job I was always just like what the hell am I gonna do with my life everything stresses me out too much right and you so went think, so you went you went to New York you had started yeah. you had started playing doing the church punk band yeah. and stuff like that yeah and then you went to New York for school yeah I like well basically I started writing like very sort of like singer excuse me, singer songwriter kind of music where I just played like acoustic guitar or piano. And that was a thing that I did for a while that was just like my first and middle name, which is Bethany Sharea. And I would just write really like, I don't even know how to explain them. Just like cheesy girl, just learning how to play guitar, like just learning how to write lyrics right, kind of coffee music. House yeah, vibe, yeah, exactly. And um, so I did that. And then there was a moment with that where like, major labels and people were coming to shows and were very interested in sort of like taking me and like kind of like a and ring me and turning me into some sort of like singer songwriter like artist and I was just like not I was like no I'm like I'm like too punk and I want to like be my own thing and I want to like play shows with the smell like I don't want to like go to a major label and have them tell me that I'm supposed to be the next like Miley Cyrus or something. But this was when Miley Cyrus was like a baby, like making more of that kind of music. Right. And then I was in a weird, like experimental drone band for a while. Right. Which is basically how As I Pocahontas. Yeah, Pocahontas. Yeah. And then around there is when I decided that I wanted to go to school because I dropped out of high school. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back to school for writing. So I went to PCC, Pasadena Community College for creative writing, and then I got fixated on this idea of going to New York and like being a writer. So I applied to the new school. I was like, I probably won't get in because I'm a high school dropout and I'm going to community college. I was like the only kid at PCC to like get accepted to like a private university that year. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm doing this. And what was it? What appealed to you about that? I just, you know... I'm guessing your first period of really like delving into creative writing, like what to appeal to you about it that I'm guessing is still a, an aspect of yeah. what you like to do today. I mean, I like, like I said, when I was a kid, I would write songs and like poems and stories and stuff. I always had this, like English was really the only subject in school that I felt like I was good at and it was the only thing I really felt like I could do was like express myself in the form of writing was there any was there or were there particular people whose work you read that made you be able to kind of see yourself as doing that as well or who you thought like had it kind of idealized as like oh that maybe even inspired you to go to New York or think that was the place you yeah. needed to be for for sure it was like I mean 
I didn't think I would ever be this person, but she was really like what kind of inspired me was like Joan Didion was just like, I remember the first time I read Joan Didion, I was just like, this is exactly what, like how I want to like talk about things. And I just felt like her being a California native, but then like going to New York and sort of like the way that she wrote about California in this way as like it's her home place but she writes about it almost as like this outsider is so interesting to me and like I remember when I went to New York I just was like I literally was just like basically like everything I wrote was about California and I would just like I just tried so hard to just be like um just like the young Joan Didion or like whatever it was and I remember one of my professors just being like you really miss and love California, don't you? And I was like, yeah, but it's weird because I didn't when I lived there. Like when I was growing up here, I was kind of always like, California sucks. Like there's no seasons. This is lame. Like you had to drive everywhere. And then I left and then I like appreciated it in this totally different way. And now I can't picture myself living anywhere else. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I love New York. I just think it's like, it's a place that I think I romanticized in such a way that I didn't really realize. And this is so cheesy to say out loud, but like, I will just say it. Around that time, I was watching a lot of Sex in the City. And I was, was like, it? who wasn't? Yeah. And I was like, oh, so this is what it's like. You just like go to brunch with your girlfriends and you like write a sex column and you like date a bunch of like cute guys and you like dress really cool. And of course, Seinfeld too, like just right. existing. New York existed in this way to me where it was just like the coolest place where you were always with your friends and you're just like walking around and like <laughs> there's all these stores everywhere and you're on the subway. And then I got there and I was like, oh my God, like this is not like what is wrong with me that I ever thought that that was like, that's like why they're TV shows, obviously, yeah. you know, but yeah. I do feel like when I go there now, I have such a. I have a better appreciation for it because I like lived there and because I like created my own sort of like memories with it. And there are certain areas that I'm like, oh, I'm very familiar with this because I lived here. I would go to that restaurant or whatever. And I'm glad that I left and went there and tried it out because ultimately it inspired me to like start the band that's given me like everything that I have at this point, right. you know? So right. it's like if I had never left, and gone to New York, Best Coast wouldn't wouldn't have been a thing. Right. So the concept of having a new music project and the idea of I got to go back there was that was just sort of arose conjoined to each other. Or yeah, yeah. It was just really like there was like this this moment for me where I was just going to a lot of shows when I was living in New York, and I missed playing music so much. And I was like, okay, well, I should start, maybe I could start a band here or maybe I could meet people here. And then it was just a combination of like not really knowing anybody aside from the like two or three friends that I had prior to moving there. And then like a couple of girls that I met in college. Also just the weather, like when, it, when winter came, I was like, I am not starting a band. I am not going outside. I'm barely making it to my classes. Like I would go out in a snowstorm in a trench coat because I thought that that was like what you wore to stay warm. It was just this thing where I was like, I thought that maybe I could try. I was like, okay, maybe I'll just stick. Cause all my friends were like, stick it through. Like you can do it. Like live here at least a year, like finish school. And I was just like, I can't do it. Like something inside of me was just like, nope. So wait, you were there for less than a year. I literally lived there for less than a year. I think I did about 
a semester and a few weeks of my second semester and then I bailed. I literally called my mom and I was like, I gotta go. She got on a plane, flew to New York, helped me like pack up all my stuff, got back on a plane with me. Mom. Yeah. Like, I know. (laughs) I know. So she's like, I'm coming to get you. Yeah. She's like, don't worry. She's like, I'll be there. I'll be there. I'm coming. (laughs) And I like told my friends on G chat, I was like, I'm moving. And they were like, what? But that's like the way that I always was. Like I did things so like, like, and I'm still that way for a lot of, in a lot of ways. Like if I get an idea in my mind, I'm like, I'm doing this before the idea goes away. Yeah. So I'm just very like, you know what? I'm moving back to California. Okay. I better do it soon before the next thing I know I'm like still in New York. Yeah. Or whatever, you, you know, overthink it. And, yeah. And so, so, okay. So, so before you left New York though, you thought I'm going back and also I'm going to start a new music project. Yeah. So basically I, I wrote Bob an email because I had known Bob for years and I had played music with Bob when I was doing Pocahontas. I wrote him an email. I was like, I'm leaving New York. I'm moving back. I want to start a band. I want it to sound like the Beach Boys meets Cocteau Twins, which didn't make any sense to anybody but Bob. And of course it didn't end up sounding like that, but that was like the reference that I threw out there. And, it kind of uh, does sound like that. I get it. <laughs> well, I that's cool. It. Yeah. Um, and I was like, and I want you to do it with me because Bob was just somebody that I had become really close with, like before I moved and somebody that I knew had this like extensive knowledge of music and also was like good at every instrument and like had the capability of recording stuff and like, He's just like a cool guy. And so I was like, I'll send you songs. And he was like, awesome, I can't wait. I got home on like a Sunday, I want to say. And then like that following day, I just like wrote a song and I was living at my mom and her now ex-husband's house. And I just like went in the bedroom and I wrote a song which ended up being Sun Was High. And I sent it to Bob and I was like, here you go. And he was just like, this is the only kind of music I want to be playing. Like keep sending it. And then I just kept doing it and I never looked back and then wow. before I knew it it was like and did you feel thing. good about sun was high immediately yeah like I remember writing it and being like this is really cool and this doesn't feel like anything I've ever written before because I like I was in a weird drone band and then before that I was doing like wannabe Cheryl Crow like singer songwriter shit so I had never really done anything that felt like that and I also just sort of went into it very effortlessly being like okay whatever comes out is what's going to come out and that's what came out and so I think that like and then once Bob and I got together and just started like recording songs together I was like oh this just feels like it just felt very like organic it didn't feel like we were like pushing for any specific sound but we still kind of kept that idea that I had where it was like Beach Boys that kind of vibe, you know, right? With some, with a more, yeah. with a modern, like there being, there's a cute, oh, yeah. they, they, there's a cute yeah. attack for listeners. <laughs> both dog and cat are yeah. being ridiculously cute right now. There's Josie a- the dog and Snacks the cat, yeah. who you probably familiar with. Snacks the cat, <laughs> a legend. There and is this, like full blown like wrestling matches in oh this my home God. every night. Like I would just be wa- that would just be the only thing I'd watch. It's pretty ever. cute. It's like all my Instagram stories are just them, and I'm always like, do I post too much animal content? Never. And then I'm like, no, that's not a thing. Did they like each other immediately? Yeah, yeah. Snacks is so cool. You could throw him in like a shark tank, and he would just be like, what? Okay, Sip sharks. Like, yeah. <laughs> so he's very he's very well adjusted. Oh my god. With most things and animals. 
and at that, so what year is that that mm. you wrote Sun Was High? 2008? Nine? Yeah, to the, either like 2008 or 2009. Probably closer to 2009. And did you have friends here? You had come back here. Did you have friends here whose projects around that time were starting to like get an audience? Or yeah. like, obviously that was a a moment when there was just so much happening yeah. in you know indie music yeah. or, or you know or whatever those sort of yeah. And that was something that really also inspired me was just like all the people around me that were making music that were able to like tour and like put records out like that to me was a thing where it was like okay like if all of my peers can do this and they're doing it well like I could do it too and so it was very it was very inspirational to me and very much a thing that I felt like it was also just like when I came back to LA like all my friends were like thank god like why did you ever leave and I'm like I don't know (laughs) I just had to try something new so yeah I mean that time in music too it just very much felt like you could make a band have a song put it on the internet and something could happen with it you know Yeah, yeah but I didn't really do it for that reason I think I was just like it felt very that moment in my life just felt very much like okay this is what I'm gonna try now because I had I just always had a moment where I was like, this is what I'm doing now. This is what I'm doing now. This is me now. And that moment to me just felt very like music. That's what I'm going to focus on. Right. And so, you know, over the years of making albums as Best Coast, um, having different kinds of studio environments that you've been in and, you know, different goals with, with different albums. I mean, what do you think has changed most significantly, if anything, in your approach to songwriting? I mean, do you, have there been... Uh, whether pearls of wisdom from someone like a John Bryan or any, you know, any other, you know, art, other artists you've encountered um, or just sort of like a breakthrough that you've had. Do you feel like there was any moment where you kind of realized something about like, I'm going to try this. I think that honestly, that is where I'm at now. Like, I think that the, obviously the first record, it was so, it was like, it was so effortless making crazy for you. Like it was just like, we got some blog hype and then before we knew it we were like all right let's just like make a record and it sounds like this and we did it in two weeks and we did it on like no budget and we were like cool it's done we're going to south by southwest to play like 80 shows <laughs> and then the I, second, saw, I saw one of those yeah. that year <laughs> <laughs> and then the second record was like coming off of this crazy like hype and high and like gotta get back into the studio and we're gonna put you with like a big producer and we're gonna have a huge budget and you're gonna do it at Capitol, and it was like this whole whirlwind where, you know, like I would never do things differently, but like, I just, that the making of that record was just not it. I just feel like we were like really pressured to just be like, okay, make a record, do it differently. But like, and it was just sort of like a thing where I was like, also that time in my life was just so nuts. Like talk about anxiety. Like that was just like, like madness for me yeah well a lot of people were paying attention all of a sudden and and not that's not what you went into it exactly even hoping for so so that record was very much just like okay i wrote all these songs i just got off of basically being on tour for two years i wrote a bunch of songs here they are i'm like in i'm literally like checking in at like capitol records every day like not a place i thought that i would be um and then the then we made an ep because we were just sort of like all right let's just like make something to have and that one just sort of felt like again it was a little effortless it was just kind of like cool we'll do this the third record was very much like 
okay, we've grown. I had grown. I had changed. I had gone through some of my own like shit and I felt like way more confident and I was just like, okay, let's, let's do this. But we were still at this point where we were like, we didn't really want any outside feedback where we were just kind of like, we know what we're doing. Mm -hmm. We know what we like. Wally, our producer was, would give us these ideas where we would either be like, yeah, sure. That's cool. Or we would be like, no, like we don't need you. Like we're fine. And now I feel like we're at that point where we're like, we just feel like we've evolved enough as people and as a band to just sort of like be in this realm where we're like, like Bob and I are like, Bob wrote a couple of songs like that. We haven't started this record yet, but we're like, we're, we're inching into it. But like Bob has written a few songs and sent them to me that I've later then taken and written lyric and melody to like, we're finally like (laughs) after 10 years in this place where I feel like we're just ready to be like, okay, we can try different things and we can take outside criticism and we can like allow other people to sort of help us see like where our strengths and weaknesses are. Right. I think that that just took a really long time because I also think that we didn't really have me, especially like I didn't have any time to, to evaluate like what I was yeah. doing. I was yeah. just sort of thrust into And also this. things have changed so much yeah. since then in terms of like, you know, it was a, there was a bubble of like how big blogs could make something and everyone sort of learned like, well, no, that's the exception, not the rule. And like, you know, a lot of, I mean, it's crazy how much has changed in in the music industry and like media surrounding it in the past 10 years. Um, so have you started thinking about like, even just the, the, the sort of person who might be an interesting collaborator, an interesting person to be in the room with creatively, for you know just to see what you they can impart yeah i mean we so we recorded a song i'm like i'm like am i supposed to talk about this i don't know i don't think it matters we recorded a song with um yeah, justin meldell johnson yeah jmj jmj as you know legend we recorded a song with justin um like a couple of months ago where it just like it was sort of that vibe where we were like okay let's just try working with like a producer that we respect a producer that like has done like awesome, incredible things has, has really just like been somebody that we have like, not just been a fan of like the records he produces, but also just like a wildly talented dude. Yeah. Great high energy guy. And we just like, I basically just kind of told Jordan, our manager, like, can you get a contact from him we had the mutual friendship of paramore because he did the last two paramore records and Haley and i are good friends and we toured with them and so we kind of had like that making us seem like we're cool like we know paramore but he was already a fan and when he found out we wanted to meet with him he was like yeah of course so we just like had lunch with him we were like listen we're not ready to make a record and we just want to like record a song like would you be down and we were very lucky that he said yeah So we recorded a song with him and that was a cool experience because he sort of just helped us like, again, it was one of those things where he helped us just, he did these things where it was so subtle where he's like, let's break this up this way. Let's like, let's like change your strumming pattern in this place. And like, those are just all things that I would never have done myself. Well, that's, I guess what the... (laughs) <laughs> that's like why you have a producer that's you know? yeah exactly that's that, a, like, if you trust their their steez and they're like how about this and you're like i literally never would have thought totally of that. and so i think that like that 
is sort of where we're at. And then like this upcoming week, we're going in to record some songs with John Congleton. Like awesome. we're just sort of like, and like, again, like some of these songs, like, I don't know. I don't know if they'll end up on a record or if they're like just really like expensive, like experiments, like, yeah. like well-rounded like demos or what's going to happen. But I think we're just at this place as people and musicians and as a band where we're just ready to kind of like go and try different things and work with different people and to allow people to like sort of like say, okay, I want to put my hand in this and say like, I think this is cool. I think you could benefit from changing this. And I'm at this place now too, where I'm like ready to hear that. Whereas before I would take it, I would be like, you think I'm bad. Like you think I suck. Now I just know that it's like, no, this is just like these people's jobs. And that's like why bands evolve is because they usually have a producer come in and say like, this is what you're good at. This is how you could be better at it. Let's try this, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's awesome. That's exciting. Yeah, and, and it's good to be, to, to avail yourself of, of those opportunities and not feel like, I think a lot of artists feel too much in a hurry sometimes like, yeah, oh, we got to get something out. It's like, it's fine. Take, yeah. you know, like vampire weekend or Arctic monkeys or something, for instance, who like, I think, you know, the idea of taking, you know, five years in between albums, like not necessarily what they would have had in mind mm-hmm. initially, but, but it's like, it's fine. Yeah. You know, it's, well, it's people like, are people, you, you have fans who yeah. will be there and, and be been, intrigued by whatever you yeah. do next. You it's know? been very interesting because this is obvious, this is the longest amount of time where we haven't put something out, but like, it's interesting because there's so many there was a period of time where people were just like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm literally just living my life. Like I'm writing music. I'm not writing music. I'm like hiking with my friends. This is literally the first time I've lived a, like an I'm at home life. Like I haven't been able to do this in so long that I really feel like I needed this before I could make, before I could really get back into the mindset of making another record. Like, I'm single for the first time in my adult life. I have like most of my closest friends are people I grew up with that I've like reconnected with. I'm sober. I'm like so much in my life has changed that I just feel like I needed, I needed just to take some time off to just be like, you know what? I'm not going to force another record out. I'm not going to just like do what I've already done. I'm just going to sort of like push the pause button, continue to like work but just sort of like go at it at a snail's pace. And some people are just like, they can't handle it. And they're like, where's the record? And I'm like, dude, just chill. Like the record will happen. And in the meantime, there's a billion other people putting music out, Yeah, <laughs> you know? So I just feel like sometimes you have to like really pay attention to what's going, like as a creative person, you have, as a person in general, but especially as a creative person, you have to pay attention to like what is going on inside of you so that you can like actually create something great. Yeah. If you don't, you know, you don't have, you legitimately don't have to until you're ready. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like I'm finally like, like I said, I'm finally like, I understand that and I'm okay with it. And I've gotten to be, I've gotten past the whole like, Cause I used to just take everything. Jesus. <laughs> Josie's going. For it. <laughs> I used to take everything so damn personally, and I feel like now I just understand where it's like, you know, now a like kid yelling at me that their album isn't done 
doesn't affect me the way it would have like four years ago because four years ago I would have been like <laughs> yeah I know and I would have been well, like, the, yeah. yeah and now I'm just like who fucking cares yeah. like there's a mute button for that you yeah. know so yeah sometimes you just have to like really like allow yourself and like it's it's complicated too because this is my job like I don't have another job it's like when I'm not touring or making records I'm not like working some other job so I I had to kind of compromise and say like okay this is going to mean that I'm not going to be making as much money as I'm used to this is going to mean that I'm not going to be like this is going to make mean that I have to like readjust to being a person that's like yeah, I'm home. Like most of my friends are like, you're here. I'm like, I'm here. Like you're not used to it, but here I am, you know? (laughs) But I feel like that was like very essential. And the record and the songs that I'm writing, the songs that I'm writing are very like reflective of that. And you'll definitely be able to tell that like, oh, this girl went through some shit and she came out on the other side and she like took a, she like took a, a break that was like much, much needed. So yeah, yeah. I feel like refreshed. Um, I feel like it's sort of a good note to end on, but I can't wrap up uh, our first real conversation (laughs) without talking about Seinfeld. Yeah. Because I can think of no other bigger fellow Seinfeld fan. We have to. What do you want to say? Well, I mean, so just like you mentioned (laughs) Sex and the City. I mean, I have a few questions I want to ask. So were you, did you just watch it on syndication as a kid or what? Did you like it immediately? My dad was like huge Seinfeld fan and it was just always on TV. And I remember like, I don't really remember like the first time I watched it, but I just remember it was like, it was honestly as imperative to my childhood and like what was happening and in my home as like the Beatles were like, no joke. It was like. The Beatles were always being played. Fleetwood Mac was always being played. Steely Dan was always being played. And Seinfeld was always on television. And those are the things to me that are very like, that's my childhood. And then I think like as I got older and I sort of started to like understand the jokes, I was like, wait, this is just the best thing ever. But So wait, if Seinfeld is the Beatles, yeah. which I believe, yeah, you agree. I agree. <laughs> But in a very literal way, who's who? So if Jerry oh, is John Lennon. Hard. Okay. Maybe? Is he? Or is he Paul? I would say Jerry... I don't think... I feel like Jerry is maybe more Paul. Maybe. Obviously, George is Ringo. <laughs> <laughs> and... Elaine, I feel like is is George. Yeah, and then Kramer and then is John. Kramer, which which, but that doesn't feel. I think Kramer is Ringo, and George. Yeah, actually, and that, George that is makes John. Sense. Yeah, yeah. The glasses. And, yeah, <laughs> and Elaine is George, my yeah. favorite Beatle. I, George is my favorite Beatle too. Yeah, I, I fully am on the George train, just mostly because I love like George solo records so much. Oh yeah, the other best George. Also, I met Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and it was definitely, like, top five moments. Oh, yeah, and you said she was super chill, and she was familiar with Best Coast. She liked Best Coast. I think her son liked Best Coast. She gave me her phone number. We texted. Oh, my God. I, like... We, she she still follows me on Twitter. She never responds to me when I talk to her now, but that's okay. She like reposted a photo of me dressed as Elaine for Halloween. Like it oh was like, You're in for there. a moment in time, I was like, I'm friends 
And she was fully fine with me, like, freaking out to her as if she was, like, Elaine. Like, I kept being, like, I was also, like, drunk. Oh God, it was South I'm by Southwest, dying. so of course I was drunk. And I was, like, oh, my God, like, you just don't understand, like, Elaine. And she, you know, because, like, most people would be, like, listen, the name's Julia, and I'm not Elaine, like, just so you know. But she was totally, like, thank you so much. And she was, like, I get it, like... She was an incredible character. I was so honored to play her. Like, we took a selfie, and she was like, send me that. Like, text it to me. And I was just like, well, here I am. Oh, my God. Yeah. Friends. Really just uh, ultimate level. That's, oh, yeah. That's an ultimate level. It was like, I feel like, honestly, and I know I've met a lot of incredible people, but I really feel like that was, that was like the one for me. Like, that would be like, if I ever met Beyonce or Stevie Nicks, mm. those those would be like, I could die. Like those would be the three things that I could just be like, okay, so I've already got one off that list. And where uh, did you get this pillow? No. Josie. All right. Well, Bethany, thank you so much for doing thank the you. LSQ podcast. Of course. Thanks for coming to my house with my crazy ass animals. Josie, do you have any final parting words for the podcast? She's like, can you let me outside and get Earlier this summer, Best Coast put out a really sweet children's music album called Best Kids that includes originals and kids' music classics. You can find out more over at bestcoast.net. And coming up next in this episode of LSQ, because, you know, each time we're together, I like to play you something from my extensive interview archive. And this time it's going to be a little bit of a 2006 conversation I had here in New York with Christina Aguilera leading up to the release of her Back to Basics LP, which was actually a double disc set and which was an album inspired by Aguilera's longtime love of music from the 1920s through 50s, singers like Billie Holiday and Etta James, and she also changed her look for the Back to Basics campaign, adopting more of a classic Hollywood pinup kind of vibe, and that's actually the subject of the excerpt you'll hear, um, where I was curious how Aguilera felt about kind of adapting her outward sexuality for this, this new sort of persona. Anyway, let's listen. your mind how does the sort of sexuality of this kind of music differ from the sexuality of some stuff you've done before um i think a that sexuality will always be a part of what i do on some level i think it's just a part of me i'm um i like to express myself you know with sensuality and sexuality i think as a woman for me it's really important you know if it's in you i think that you should feel free to express yourself in however way you feel sexually, you know what I mean? Uh, some people are more or less, but um, but I think also with all the rules and regulations and you can be sexy but not to this or not to yeah. that, you know, I just think with all of that that's been bogged down on women over the years from society, from I think men to kind of keep us in that place where we're almost uncomfortable with ourselves and our own sexuality, that that's why I want to like always break those walls and kind of do... Uh, things as I see fit, you know, as I see need be. I think there's no wrong in that, and so that's why I think it's important to always bring that up for myself, not only because it's just naturally embedded in me as a person, but also because I, I think it's it's a statement to be, uh, and I love that whenever I see other women who are unafraid to be bold sexually and, and, and express themselves as they see fit for themselves. Um, I respect that, because it's hard for a woman to stand up and do that now, you know, now, nowadays, I mean, in the past, yeah, it was almost un unheard of, and we've broken a lot of barriers, but 
you know, we're still breaking them, and there's still a huge double yeah, standard. Yeah, I mean, because still people, I mean, in general, I think the media tends to respond no matter when it happens, no matter when it comes up, the media tends to respond to, to it with, like, that the, the person is just doing it yeah, to be right. provocative yeah, yeah, without yeah. any meaning right, behind right, it. Right, right, right. And that's just the biggest misconception, and that's why I like to talk about it whenever sexuality is brought up, because I think it is a huge, you know, point for, for women, you know, not all women feel comfortable in their own skin, but I think the more women I can, you know, I can almost inspire to be comfortable with themselves and their sexuality, you know, um, and not feel ashamed in any way by it, you know, because I feel like that's also what society has put in our heads, is that it's something sometimes that we need to be you know, ashamed of almost, and it's so ridiculous, you know, it's, it's healthy, you know, it's, it's supposed to be, you know, um, something I feel like women need to be empowered by, really, and, and, and proud of themselves, but anyway, on this record, I think that the sexuality is, has differed just because it's taken on, I think, more of a playful, tongue-in-cheek, you know, with the burlesque thing, burlesque isn't even really supposed to be showing much skin, it's, it's all about kind of being provocative in a more sensual way than a, than a, you know, a striptease kind of way. Um, whereas I think, you know, I mean, dirty, you know, just the statement, you know, and, um, uh, you know, but dirty to me also, it was just being very strong and just, I mean, it had a more raw and aggressive take on sexuality. Right. Still being in the forefront and feeling empowered and, and 21 years old and as a, as a female just coming out and being unafraid and, and you know, unashamed of anything and whatever. Um, but yeah, that, that's the take on it, I think, is that now the sexuality kind of going along with the era that I'm, I'm dating back to, it's a little more pin-up-y, it's yeah. a little more um, cutesy provocative with a little raunchiness thrown in there, but with a smile instead of, instead of a, uh, an attack. Major thanks to Christina Aguilera, um, in retrospect, for that 2006 conversation. And maybe in another episode I'll play you a different section of it, um, because she said a lot of interesting stuff in the course of our hour-long meeting. So, yeah, we're at the end of episode 13 of LSQ. Again, big thanks to Bethany Cosentino. It was so fun hanging with her. And I'm definitely going to be knocking at her door asking for some Josie and snacks time when I'm back in our neighborhood in L.A., um, also, in a few weeks, another episode of LSQ, number 14, with Death Cab for Cuties' Ben Gibbard. And that's an episode that comes out the same week as Death Cab's new album, Thank You for Today. Um, also, in the can, episodes to come featuring interviews with Katie Crutchfield, also known as Waxahachie, Speedy Ortiz's Sadie Dupuis, Connor Oberst, uh, an episode arriving in late September. And if you subscribe, you'll always get them when they're fresh and piping hot, plus feedback always welcome you can reach me at jenny lsq on twitter i did finally get some more um, stickers and buttons so i will be sending them out to those of you who've uh, who've asked for them and if you'd like to get some some buttons and stickers well just send me your your mailing address you can email it to lsqpod at gmail.com i'll talk to you next time